Hey, remember when they told you that the COVID vaccine was 100% effective at stopping COVID? And then five minutes later, they told you that you needed a booster shot. And then about five minutes after that, they told you that you needed another booster shot. Well, it turns out you're going to need booster shots forever. But have no fear, your friendly neighborhood Big Pharma CEO is willing to sell them to you. Your company with your partner BioNTech and Moderna, the other company, have both pioneered the use of messenger RNA, which can easily be reprogrammed every time the spike protein of a coronavirus uh, evolves or changes. Do you think we're going to get updated mRNA vaccines every season that'll be directed to each new variation of the coronavirus? And will we have to take those shots every year? I'm almost certain about it. And I say almost certain because, of course, regulators have the final say in all of that. But that's the beauty of mRNA. You can adapt your vaccine just by changing the sequencing, which is a very minor change, either manufacturing or in the properties of the vaccine safety or efficacy, but can make a huge difference in the way that responds to the virus. So for this reason, I'm very confident that we will be able to respond very, very fast to every new variant. I am almost certain that you will have to have the mRNA vaccine every year. The holdup, of course, is the regulators, but we own the regulators. You will get the shot every year. It was only a matter of time, of course. Netflix, uh, razors, everything. Everything is moving to a subscription model. So it's no wonder that vaccines are as well. I, for one, I'm just speaking for myself here. I will not be getting these annual shots for COVID. I suspect many of you will not be getting them either, even though the doctors are telling us to get them, even though these wonderful, charitable, big pharma CEOs are telling us to get them. The reason is that we no longer trust the judgment of the people who are telling us to get them. That's not our fault. The people who lost our trust have no one to blame but themselves. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Scorpio, who says, wait a minute, I was reliably informed that we were going to see a rise in back alley abortions once abortion was made illegal, yet this girl in the Washington Post had her twins anyway. It's almost like that's not really a thing. It's almost like that's not really a thing, and it's almost as if the law affects the way people behave. It's almost as if, you might say, culture is downstream of politics sometimes. Isn't that amazing? And, and we can do it. We here in the political community, we can pass laws, we can get court rulings, and we can help shape the way that we want to live. We can do things for ourselves. We can even fix our car, especially if you go check out Rock Auto. Right now, head on over to rockauto.com and make sure you write Knowles in there. How did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you? I love Rock Auto. They've been with this show since the very beginning. Uh, they have wonderful auto parts, truck parts, whether you're a pro, whether you're a do-it-yourselfer, best prices anywhere. The catalog is so easy to navigate. Even I can do it. You know all of that. Buddy of mine, he made a mistake the other day. He did. It takes a big man to admit he made a mistake. He goes in to a brick-and-mortar auto parts store, and he goes, he just needed some part. He, he wasn't willing to wait even the five seconds it would take to order it online and get it from Rock Auto. This part was supposed to be $150. The brick and mortar store wanted to charge him $400 for the part. So what does he do? Whips out his phone, 
goes to that rockauto.com easy to navigate catalog. He even shows them. He says, look, look at this part. I could get it for 150 bucks. Do not go through all that rigmarole that my friend had to go to. Just jump to the very end. Go to rockauto.com. Make sure you enter Knowles there in their head. Did you hear about us, Box? You can get the brakes, the shocks, the carpet, the wipers, the headlights, the mirrors, the mufflers, the lug nuts, any part you need. rockauto.com. Write Knowles in the box. You'll thank me later. Probably the most compelling reason as to why we all need to get booster shots all the time is that everybody keeps getting COVID. Isn't it weird? Have you noticed this? Everybody keeps getting COVID all the time. I've had COVID three times, at least. I've had COVID three times where I had symptoms. I didn't get a test every time, but I did get a test sometimes, and I tested positive for COVID. Maxine Waters, Democrat Congress lady, had COVID twice in the span of, I think, two months. Xavier Becerra, the Biden Secretary of Health, had COVID twice within the span of 26 days. He had COVID, he recovered, and then he got COVID again. So in a way, you would think this is an argument for the booster shots, except ultimately it's, an, it's not an argument for the booster shots because all these people have had their booster shots. <laughs> Justin Trudeau, Mr. Castro's son up there running Canada, the guy has had COVID twice since January. He's got the vaccine, he's got the boosters. So I do think we need to, as we're examining now where this virus came from, the crazy old conspiracy theory that it came from a, the Wuhan lab that was discarded, that was insane. Take your tinfoil hat off. Now the WHO is privately admitting, according to reports, that that's true. We, we do need to ask ourselves, before we keep injecting ourselves with whatever new nonsense Big Pharma comes out with, I think we need to ask some, some more basic questions about the virus. Where did it come from? What, what was being done with the virus in the lab? And also, why does everyone keep coming down with this damn thing? We don't, we don't get the flu this much. We don't get other viruses this much. You get the flu once during flu season, maybe, and then you don't get the flu anymore. How come you get COVID twice in a month? It's a question. Well, I don't, we're not allowed to ask questions. We just have to mindlessly inject ourselves with these shots from Big Pharma that immediately are proven not to do what they say that they will do. Why don't we trust the medical establishment? We don't trust the medical establishment because they were wrong about COVID. We don't trust the medical establishment because they keep lying to us. There, there's even a more basic reason, and this is beyond COVID and it's, it's beyond the vaccines. It actually has to do with the topic du jour that we can never, we always have to be talking about all the time in, in our culture for some reason, and that is transgenderism. Transgenderism is a big part of the reason why I don't trust the, the medical community and the experts and the healthcare system. It is. I don't, I don't trust doctors who are, are affiliated with certain hospitals and medical groups if those hospitals and medical groups will perform gender-affirming surgeries and interventions. Because I think, huh, you don't even know that a man is not a woman. How can I trust your views on any, any other aspect of medicine? You'd, you quacks are going in and pumping little kids full of cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers and chopping up their bodies. Why would I trust you about anything else, regardless of what you think about the vaccines and the virus and, and, and all the rest of it? If, you, if, the, if the modern medical geniuses don't know the difference between boys and girls, I just don't trust them. I trust my plumber on basic questions of medicine more than I trust the modern medical establishment. Now, there is something we can do about that. 
the, the libs and the experts and the technocrats, they always try to bully us. And they say, you don't know anything about transgenderism. You don't know anything about medicine. You don't, you don't know anything about the science. Just listen to the man in the lab coat. Just listen to whatever Dr. Fauci tells you. Just listen to whatever that hulking dude wearing a dress who is the assistant secretary of health, for goodness sakes, because we're living in a Monty Python sketch. Just listen to whatever she tells you. She's the expert and you don't know anything. And, and you think to yourself, uh, no. If, the, if, if these people are the experts, uh, give, give me the rubes, give me the know-nothings, give me the idiots, because I suspect they know something more. We can rein in the experts and the technocrats and the lunatics. Uh, we can do that through legislation. We can. We can do this through the political rights, whatever political rights we still have left. And some Republican lawmakers are doing just that. This is coming from the Republican Study Committee. Uh, Congressman Jim Banks and uh, Representative Doug LaMalfa and uh, also Tom Cotton up on the Senate side, they are sponsoring a new piece of legislation that would allow individuals to sue medical providers for transing them when they were kids. It's called the Protecting Minors for Medical Malpractice Act. Uh, This was created in response to the Biden administration pushing transing the kids and the puberty blockers and the hormones and the the so-called sex change surgeries for minors. Uh, They're they're pushing this law because they say that that these kids who grow up and they become adults and they regret having had these medical experiments performed on them, they need to be allowed to seek justice in court. At some point on this show, I'll have to read some of the testimonies that are proliferating all over the internet of people who regret their transition. Even though I don't even want to use that word transition, it makes it sound so benign, makes it sound so simple. Oh yes, well one day I'm Michael, the next day I'm Michelle, I transitioned. Transitioning involves having your body chopped up and becoming sterilized permanently usually and being mutilated and very often weakening your bones and giving yourself all sorts of chronic illnesses, potentially giving yourself osteoporosis, all because of the quackery of these radicals. And people need to be given an opportunity for justice, especially if this happens when you're a kid. If you're a little eight-year-old kid, eight-year-olds in some cases are being put on these sorts of puberty blockers and then being put on cross-sex hormones. And then now the modern transgender medical associations are encouraging cross-sex hormones at 14, surgeries at 15, even the full-on surgery that happens below the belt at 17. You're a kid. You're below the age of consent. You're having experiments performed on you. You need to seek, you need to be allowed to seek justice. So how would this happen? Sue the doctor, sue the medical group, sue all of them. I imagine I haven't read the law. I'm not sure that the text of the law has even been released. Uh, there, there probably has to be some kind of a date before which you are not permitted to seek uh, justice. I don't know that you're allowed to do this retroactively. In a way, it seems kind of unfair to the doctors who believe, even these psychos, even the people who are chopping up kids, some of them might believe that they're following the law and doing the right thing. And so I'm not sure that this law would punish them. That might become problematic. But certainly if you say, okay, after this date, if, if you as a doctor trans the kids, uh, you're opening yourself up to a huge legal liability. That, at the very least, you've got to do that. That would be a huge, huge victory. And 
you, you'll hear a lot of pushback from the libs and a lot of pushback from the doctors and a lot of, and they'll say, this is terrible. You're stopping care. You're bullying doctors. You're bullying the experts and threatening them and stopping them from performing the surgeries and the interventions that are technically legal today. And you say, yep, you're damn right we are. You're right. We are going to use any legal means necessary to stop this because the reality of it is so intolerable and so barbaric that no civilized society should do it ever. Speaking of things that are organic, speaking of our life, you've got to go check out Beam Organics. Right now, go to beamorganics.com slash Knowles. Use promo code Knowles. It's very important to get a good night's sleep. I think you know that. Well, did you know that a poor night's sleep can not just screw up your next day. It can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, lower productivity. Some reports say that sleeping less than six to seven hours per night is linked to a reduced white blood cell count. White blood cells protect our body against illness and diseases, fighting viruses, bacteria, and more. Okay. You need to get a good night's sleep. And that's why I'm introducing Beam Dream, baby. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brands with unique products, for everything from sleep to focus. Today, our listeners will get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product, Dream Powder, their best-selling hot cocoa. It contains premium ingredients, triple lab tested. You wake up refreshed. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream. 99% of people experience better sleep quality. Just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk. Stir. Enjoy it before bedtime. It'll just be a nice little delicious little treat and you will sleep a lot better. You can get their their fabulous uh, flavor, sea salt caramel dream powder. It tastes just like caramel drizzle on your summer ice cream cone, but with only 15 calories. How about that? You're, you're protecting yourself against weight gain in more ways than one. If you don't love it, you get your money back. Guaranteed for a limited time, get up to 35% off when you go to beamorganics.com slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout. Really, really good legislation coming out of the Republican study committee to stop these weirdos from transing the kids. Really bad legislation coming out from squishy Texas Republican Senator John Cornyn. John Cornyn was the, is the Republican who was anointed to negotiate with Democrats to give away our Second Amendment rights. And he did a bang up job of that. Uh, he's uh, now come to a compromise. Uh, 13 other Republican senators have come to this compromise with the Democrats to give away some of our Second Amendment rights. Uh, obviously, the NRA and other uh, gun owner lobbies are opposed to this. Ordinary Republicans are opposed to this. Uh, people who value our Second Amendment are opposed to this. But John Cornyn says, well, too bad. We can't allow those special interests to dominate the conversation. On the NRA strongly opposing the legislation, do you think that that will sway any of the Republican votes from last night? I don't know. You'll have to ask them. We were we worked very uh, we worked with the NRA, listened to their concerns, but in the end, I think they simply uh, they they have a they have a membership and um, and a and a business model that uh, will not allow them to uh, uh, to support any legislation. And so I understand where they're coming from, uh, but I think most people will not allow any outside group to veto uh, good public policy. Really, really good public policy. What, what good public policy? You're talking about this bill that would not have stopped any of the mass shootings that it's allegedly su su supposed to address? 
that, that really good legislation, that good legislation that opens up all sorts of vulnerabilities for the government to come in and take away the guns and the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens. That really great piece of legislation. It's not a great piece of legislation. It's a dumb piece of legislation. It doesn't do what the Democrats and the squishes are saying that it would do. It's just a way for the Democrats to push as best they can to advance the same old gun agenda, completely separate from any of the recent shootings, the same old agenda they've been pushing for 50 years. And so then the NRA pushes back. And the NRA is the boogeyman. The NRA is the boogeyman for the left. And even sometimes the squish Republicans try to dismiss the totally normal concerns of, of gun owners and Americans of all stripes who like their constitutional rights. And they'll say, oh, it's just the NRA. What do you think the NRA is? The libs will call the NRA the gun manufacturer's lobby. It's not the gun manufacturer's lobby. The NRA exists for one purpose. The NRA's purpose is to protect the Second Amendment. There are other gun lobbies that do it as well. That's what the NRA does. I'm a member of the NRA. I'm a lifetime member of the NRA. I, I suspect a lot of the listeners out there are members of the NRA. The NRA is about as American as apple pie, not only because Americans love their gun rights, but specifically because it is an association of people, a voluntary association that comes together and influences politics. Alexis de Tocqueville, when he wrote Democracy in America, 1831, he's traveling all around America. He notices this is one of the, if not the distinguishing feature about the United States compared to other countries around the world. Other countries around the world, when they're trying to get political action accomplished, they'll send magistrates, they'll send princes, they'll send all sorts of officials. In America, instead of that, we send the association, the voluntary association. And it, it could be, it could be trade unions, it could be civil groups, the, I don't know, the Lions Club. It could be uh, in interest groups, civic interest groups like the, the NRA, any of them. That's, that's how America does business. It was true 200 years ago. It's true today. Not only can we let the NRA shoot this down, we absolutely should. And if this, these Republicans had any moral clarity, any political clarity, any backbone or other anatomical features, I know those are, those are very much in the news these days, uh, they, they would go along with that. And they would, they would reject this ridiculous legislation. The Democrats are admitting that this legislation is not about accomplishing some great feat that would stop the mass shootings in the near future. The Democrats are admitting it's just a first step. It's just making it easier to get more and more and more of, of the gun control agenda that the Dems have been pushing for. Amy Klobuchar said it yesterday. This bill is going to save thousands of lives. And this isn't everything that I would have wanted to do. I think Chris would say the same thing. Um, but we had Republicans that were willing to come to the negotiating table. And while I would have banned assault weapons, at least 18 and 21 year olds, but what did they do? They actually did something that's going to save lives. So to start with something that's going to save lives, even if a particular provision wouldn't have saved their own baby's lives, that is an act of love and generosity of spirit that you hear from the families of those that have lost loved ones. That's why we're moving ahead. And I think it actually paves the way in the future to look at some of these other provisions. But if you do nothing and you just go home, then we've got nothing. And that's why it's so important to pass this bill on a bipartisan basis. She's admitting two really important things here. She says, look, this is just the first step. It's just paving the way. It's going to make it easier to get more of our stupid agenda through. And two, yeah, okay. 
maybe this wouldn't have saved your baby's life, your community's life, your life. Maybe it wouldn't have done the things we're saying it would do, but it'll save lives generally. Trust us. Yeah, Jen. No, I know whenever you ask us to to give an example, whenever you point to a specific case and you say, will your bill address this? And we, we have to say no. But you know, but generally it, it probably will. So anyway, give us your guns, give us your rights. Uh, that's, it's really important because w- once we get this bill through, we're going to work on the next gun bill. That's what we're going to do. Really, really bad idea. There's, by the way, not only is there no evidence this would save lives, there is evidence that this could cost lives. I'm, I'm reminded it's an eerily similar situation. In the mid-1990s, 96 or 97, in the UK, they banned handguns there was a shooting at an elementary school, I believe, and the UK decided to ban handguns, and then they measured what happened six years later. Six years later, what happened to the murder rate? Do you think it went down? Did this important legislation save lives? No, the murder rate went up. The murder rate almost doubled. Would something similar happen here? I don't know. Is the legislation exactly the same? I don't know. But can you, Amy, can you give me any evidence at all that this would save lives and be worth gutting one of our constitutional rights, one of our most basic constitutional rights, a constitutional right derived from a a natural right, a natural right to self-defense? I don't think so. But the squishes go along with it. The squish Republicans who think this is a good idea are just swamp creatures. This is a really good test for Republican legislators. Are Are you a Republican legislator who knows what time it is, who talks to your constituents, who gets what's going on in America? Or are you just a total swamp creature? And I'm, I'm not even impugning their motives here. I'm just observing the fact that Americans do not want gun control. The Republicans certainly don't want gun control. The Democrats might want gun control, but even the Democrats don't want gun control that much. They don't really care. It, when you, whenever you see a poll of political priorities, guns, even for the Dems, even for the gun grabbers, are pretty far down the list. Voters care about the economy. Voters care about immigration. Voters care about jobs. Voters, but they, voters care about health care. They don't really care that much about guns. So what's the point of this? Why are these 14 squishes on the Republican side going along with it? Because people in D.C. really care about guns, and people in the media really care about guns, and people at think tanks really care about guns. And these are the people that these swamp rats are regularly socializing with, and so they they have a completely skewed view of what Americans really want. You want to know the clearest example of this of this distinction, this huge chasm between ordinary Americans and the swamp creatures in D.C.? It's the, it's the January 6th hearings. I'm sorry, I need, to, I need to pronounce that correctly. It's the January 6th, January 6th, the worst day ever in the history. People in D.C. care about January 6th. People in America could not possibly care less. I'm not wish casting. I'm not living in my conservative echo chamber. I'm reading ABC News. I'm reading an ABC News Ipsos poll that asked ordinary Americans, how closely are you following the January 6th hearings, which are being aired constantly in the lib media? The lib media are playing this thing ad nauseum. They're covering it in their newspapers. They're pumping it out through all of their various communications channels. Do you know how many Americans are following the January 6th hearings very closely? Less than 10%. 
even with all of that, even with the huge weight of the media, government, big tech propaganda machine behind the Dems, behind the January 6th hearings, less than 10% of Americans are following this closely. They do not care. The, the wise politicians are going to get that. The wise politicians who are, who are going to help to shape the future are going to be speaking to the interests of actual American people, not the whining performances of Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and the Democrats. But I repeat myself in the squish Republicans with Republicans like those people who needs Democrats in the first place. Now, when you want to get real information, when you want to hear about things that actually affect your life and affect the American people and are not merely uh, being, being promoted by the swamp rats in Washington, D.C., you've got to head on over to dailywire.com slash Knowles. That's the place to go. Not slash Shapiro, not slash Clavin, not slash Walsh, not slash Jeremy, not slash anybody. Dailywire.com slash Knowles. Uh, you can sign up. You can become a member. You can support us in this fight you will save 25% if you go to that specific URL, dailywire.com slash Knowles. We've got Backstage Live at the Ryman coming up. If you can't make it out to Nashville to see us in person, you can stream it there, but you got to go to the Daily Wire, dailywire.com slash Knowles. Save 25%. We'll be right back with a lot more. The DC types are not going to be winning any awards for their performances at the January 6th hearings. Liz Cheney, she's putting her heart and soul into this performance. Adam Kinzinger, obviously all the Democrats, and they're not going to be winning any Oscars, okay? They're not persuading people that Trump committed some crime. They're not persuading people that there was an insurrection. The country almost collapsed because of the horn hat guy. They're not convincing people even to care. They're not convincing people even to tune in. They're not very good performers. Do you know who is a, a great performer? One of truly the greatest performers of our age. I was reminded of this a couple of days ago. You know the man, President Kofefe, Donald Trump. He gets up there. He's, he's giving a speech about some completely unrelated topic, and he, he brings up Joe Biden's falling off a bicycle in the most charming, hilarious way possible. One of the greatest travesties of all is to see a person in the White House who, even after years of political experience, has absolutely no clue how to be the President of the United States. And I hope he has recovered because, as you know, he fell off his bicycle today. No, I'm serious. I hope he's okay. Fell off a bicycle. I make this pledge to you today. I will never, ever ride a bicycle. (laughs) I love the way he turns it there at the end. Like he's doing a comedy routine. Like he's lighting up a cigarette next to his stool. He goes, you guys hear about this? You guys hear about the president falls off a bicycle? (sighs) Yeah, yeah. No, he did. He did. He fell off a bicycle. And then you're waiting for him. If he were just an ordinary politician, he would do one of two things. He would concern troll and he would get very somber and serious and say, no, but really, really, I am wishing him, he's a good family man. He's a good, especially the Bidens, <laughs> quite a family, a good family man. I really, we hope for his recovery. He would do that or he would get really angry and self-righteous and indignant and make some political attack on him. But Trump has this show business touch. So he's, he lures you in. He says, 
Yeah, he fell off a bicycle. You saw that? No, he did. He did. I hope he's okay. I hope he's okay. And then he he turns it and makes a self-effacing joke. He's not even boasting. He's not bragging. He's not blowing himself up. He's making a joke about himself. He goes, I'm never going to ride a bicycle. You look at me. You, do I look like the kind of guy who's going to ride a bicycle? This is something people never got about Trump. They All they would see is the bragging and the boastfulness and the gold and everything. And they think that the guy's a total egomaniac and a narcissist. That's not quite true. Yes, he puts his names on the buildings. Yes, he refers to himself in the third person. But he does have a self-awareness. He would frequently make jokes at his own expense. One time he was asked about if he would have a beer and Donald Trump doesn't drink. And he said, me, no, I'm not. I think I might be the only president who can say he's never had a beer. It's probably the only good thing you can say about me. <laughs> he's making a joke that he's got these sorts of other vices, but, but he doesn't drink. Look at me. Do you think, he was asked once, uh, do you, are you going to get a pet in the White House? Are you going to get a dog? And he said, no, they're all telling me I need to get a dog to be more likable. And, you know, that's just what the presidents do. I don't know. I don't think it's me. I don't think it's really me. And it's, it's not. It, it was not really him. And no, you can't picture Donald Trump riding a bicycle. These little moments do give me some pause for 2024. Right now, Ron DeSantis is getting a ton of play. People are talking about him as the potential nominee. The guy's amazing. I don't, I don't have a negative thing in the world to say about Ron DeSantis. He's, a, he's the greatest governor in the country. He might be the greatest governor of a state that I have seen in my lifetime. He's doing a great job. So there's no wonder that he's getting a lot of presidential talk. Some other people are getting presidential talk too. Pompeo is getting some. Senator Cruz is getting some. Nikki Haley was getting some. I don't know that she totally is anymore. Uh, there, there are other people who, who are out there as potential nominees. You can tell there are a lot of other governors and a lot of other senators who are trying to run for that as well. My hesitation on just saying, okay, Trump's old news, let's move on, is just while all of us were paying a lot of close attention to politics, while all of us might love this governor or that senator or this former cabinet official, and we're really tuned in, we say, well, here are all the reasons why so-and-so would be a much better president than Trump. While we're doing that, are we in our own little bubble here? Do those other candidates, do they have the ability to reach as many people who maybe aren't totally tuned into politics, who maybe don't follow all the latest trends on Twitter or whatever? Can they reach people as effectively as Trump? I don't know. This is a totally open question right now. And Trump does come with a lot of baggage. And I'm not convinced that <laughs> whether because of his own faults or because of the system that is completely rigged against him, I'm not sure that Donald Trump will be allowed to be president again. I'm, I'm not sure. It's a totally open question. But it is something seriously to consider. The, Trump has gifts that are not that are not so easily quantified as some other politicians. He's got, he's got aspects to him that are just sort of ineffable, that are just, you don't, you don't factor them in as much. But a little joke like that, the ability to rile up a gigantic crowd, the, the star power that the guy comes with is valuable. Now, all of that said, DeSantis is not only beginning to challenge Trump, in some places he's beginning to pull ahead. Up in New Hampshire, uh, Ron DeSantis is, is now beating Trump in a presidential poll. There's a University of New Hampshire Granite State poll released on Wednesday. Uh, DeSantis gets 39%. Trump gets 37%. And then Pence, 9%. And Nikki Haley, 6%. So Pence and Haley are 
very, very far behind. Uh, but DeSantis and Trump, DeSantis is leading Trump by two points. Then they did a general election poll, again, in New Hampshire. DeSantis versus Biden. The poll says DeSantis wins by one point, 47 to 46. Trump versus Biden. The poll says that Trump loses by seven points. Biden 50, Trump 43. So what does this tell you? Now it tells you DeSantis is in a really, really good position. It tells you DeSantis is doing all the right things. And it tells you that if, if Trump does want to do this again, if he's really serious about running again, and he's not just using this as a promise or threat to maintain his influence in the GOP, he's going to have to start getting aggressive relatively quickly. He's, he's going to have to start positioning himself as the guy. Right now, Ron DeSantis has relatively low name recognition. That seems strange to you and I, because if you're listening to this show, you of course know who all the players are. You, you know all the potential 2024 nominees, you know the governors, you know the senators, but a lot of people don't. And a lot of people know Trump. Trump's been a celebrity for 40 years. Well, that's not going to be true forever. The more DeSantis or whoever, don't forget, these, these people can peak very early too, and then new candidates come up. No one would have predicted Trump in 2015, 2016, but right now DeSantis is the guy. So the more DeSantis shows of himself, the more likable he's going to be, the more name recognition he's going to get, the firmer he's going to be in those polls. And the craziest part of Ron DeSantis's rise is he almost wasn't governor. This is something else that we forget about. And, fr and frankly, actually, Trump was important in helping Ron DeSantis get over the finish line in Florida. De DeSantis only won by 33,000 votes. It was DeSantis versus Andrew Gillum it was DeSantis versus a guy who shortly after the election was found in a hotel, passed out with narcotics around him, and a gay hooker passed out on the floor, <laughs> okay? That guy, that guy was almost the governor of Florida. Ron DeSantis squeaks by with 33,000 votes. He could potentially be the next Republican presidential nominee. He could potentially be the next president. Shows you how important those little votes can be. And, and this really brings us to the Supreme Court decision. I've been on the road. I've been in LA. We've been filming stuff for PragerU. I'm going up to the Reagan Ranch later today. I'm giving a speech with Young America's Foundation. It's going to be a great deal of fun. And the only thing that has been at the back of my mind this entire week is when will the Supreme Court decision come out? We got that leaked draft of the Supreme Court decision weeks ago. We still don't know who leaked it. We still haven't gotten the final decision yet. We don't know what's going to happen. Whenever that happens, that's going to be possibly the biggest political news ever to occur in my lifetime. It will be, it'll be, it'll be bigger and frankly more surprising than the election of Donald Trump. And it'll be some of the most significant political news ever in the history of our country. And it could hinge on one vote. It, it, it certainly will hinge on whether or not Trump won in 2016. When people were making all of these arguments in 2016, do we vote for Trump or Hillary? Or the, even the Republicans, the Never Trump movement on the Republican side. Well, I don't know. I can't. He's just, Trump is too crazy. It's not worth it. I can't, I can't bring myself to vote for him. One of, if not the top argument for voting for Trump then was the judges. Yeah, maybe you don't like the guy. Maybe you don't like the way he talks. Maybe you don't like some of his policies, but we need to get those judges. We're talking about we're talking about matters of life and death when you talk about Roe v. Wade. We're talking about the possibility of saving almost a million babies a year from being killed. 
or at least opening the possibility to save that number of babies if you get rid of Roe. Well, now we're seeing potentially the fruit of that. And so I've been waiting on, on, on my tippy toes with just, you know, grabbing the, the table, everybody saying, when is this decision coming out? In part, for a really basic reason, I need to, I need to broadcast. I want it in my show. I want to talk about it. And uh, sweet little Elisa was, was joking with me. She said, well, can't you just pre-tape your reaction to it? Can't you just, you saw the draft of the case, you know a lot about Roe v. Wade, we've all, you know, we, we all know the, those parts of the issue. Can't you just pre-tape as if it already happened? And I said, no, because anything could happen right now. It's not just, okay, we're waiting for the inevitable, they're going to overrule Roe. We have no idea what they're going to do. First of all, I'm not even convinced that they're going to overrule it. There are going to be two parts to this decision. One is the court going to uphold the Mississippi pro-life law. That, I think, is pretty much a guarantee. And then two, will the court go further and overrule Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey? Or will the court try to find some middle way where you uphold the pro-life law in Mississippi, but then you, you uh, allow the precedent of Roe and Casey to remain? Don't forget, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which is one of the big pro-abortion court decisions, Planned Parenthood v. Casey overruled parts of Roe v. Wade. And, and it did so, it, it overturned the frameworks of Roe v. Wade, and it did so in this real technical, legal, jargony way where it upheld the fictional legal right to an abortion, but it, it changed the reasoning. It changed the arguments. You could get something like this with the court. Thomas is going to vote to overrule Roe. Alito is going to vote to overrule Roe. I hope Kavanaugh and Barrett and Gorsuch don't go squishy. I hope that John Roberts doesn't pull some shenanigans here. But, but it could happen. You, you could get a decision where, where we don't even really get what the decision is. The court could be intentionally obtuse. The court could be intentionally uh, vague in their language so that they, they hand down the order. And we don't even really know if Roe is overruled or to what extent it is or how. Anything could happen. Now, I think it would be a huge, huge mistake if the court does not overrule Roe. I know what some of the court watchers and potentially Chief Justice Roberts are thinking. They're, they're thinking we need to preserve the institutional integrity of the court. Roberts from the beginning has tried to figure out a way to, pardon my expression, split the baby here and uphold the law but not overrule Roe. He's been trying because he thinks that'll uphold the integrity of the court. We're past that now. After the leak, after the attempted assassination of Brett Kavanaugh, after the incessant protests, illegal protests in front of the homes of the judges, we're past trying to mollify everybody. It may have been true before that the way to preserve the integrity of the court, or at least to preserve the general feeling of not uh, complete anger against the court, would be to split the baby here. We're past that. Now the, the risk to the integrity of the court comes from the people who are trying to squish. The, gr the greater risk is, is going weak here. In the same way that when, when you're driving, sometimes driving slowly is the more dangerous option. Sometimes you need to drive a little more confidently and assertively. Sometimes you've got to put your foot on that accelerator a little bit more to do the safe thing in the car, to avoid uncertainty, to avoid, uh, I don't know, potential other cars that are driving in a weird way. Sometimes you've got to be a little more assertive. Sometimes the best defense can be a good offense. It's the same thing here. It's totally the same thing here. If the court squishes, you are sending a message to the worst people in this country that if you make threats, 
if you intimidate judges' families, if you, try to, if you threaten to kill the judges, if you threaten to riot and dox people, if you violate the norms of the court and leak decisions, you'll get your way. Ultimately, you'll get your way. It's a really basic, it's a really basic system of incentives. When you incentivize a behavior, you get more of it. That, that would be potentially a fatal blow to the Supreme Court. If, if the court sends this message, then on ordinary decisions, it won't matter. The, the court will just keep ruling and people won't pay much attention to it. But on every single contentious decision, you're going to get more protests outside the judges' homes. You're going to get more assassination attempts. And you're going to get more mostly peaceful rioting. You're seeing this still right now outside of Amy Barrett's house. There was another group of, of just lovely looking little young women who spattered themselves in fake blood and shrieked outside of Amy Barrett's house where she and her family live. So now that you put these outfits on, does it make you feel any kind of way? It makes me feel terrified. But also powerful. And like we're, we're doing something important because this is how a lot of women... This is what a lot of women are going through. People are actually dying and bleeding out because they can't get a safe abortion. And this is the terrifying visual of what America is going to look like. It's the terrifying visual that children are giving birth to children. They're being forced to against their will. For, for those people fortunate enough not to be watching those girls and just to be listening to it, they covered themselves up in fake blood. They were holding little babies, little dolls of babies. They looked like something out of The Walking Dead. And they're, they're relatively young women. And they say, well, in America now, this is what's happening. Women are bleeding out from back alley abortions. It's not happening. That's not happening at all. Well, that's what's going to happen in America if Roe is overruled. No, it's not. It's not true. All of the lies about thousands of women dying every year from back alley abortions, that, that was just completely made up by the pro-abortion movement. It's, it's not true. Uh, e- even if they did have a point, which they do not, do these people look like they've got their life together? Do these people look like they've got a good argument to make? Do these fit? No. Do you want to be with them? Do you want to be protesting alongside them? Do you want to be on their side of politics? I don't think so. They're nuts. They're, they're, they should not be encouraged to protest out, certainly to protest outside of the judges' homes, which is illegal, or really anywhere else. They, they need to be told no. These shrieking, crazy, lying, young lunatics, they need to just say no. No, we're not going to do that. You don't get to do that. You don't get to break the law. You don't get to keep killing the babies. No, you don't get to threaten the Supreme Court. We're going to say no, and then you're going to go home. And that's that. Same issue with crime. Right now, the uh, Chicago Police Department has just come out with a, a new policy. Here's the new policy. So Chicago, which is basically like downtown Fallujah, okay, Chicago, not, not the nicest place to be walking around at any time. Crime up through the roof. The police have decided that the way to deal with the crime problem is to stop chasing suspects. I just want to add as an overview, foot pursuit policies have been part of law enforcement for over a decade now. Just because Chicago PD is now implementing a permanent one, the impacts on crime has been studied and we can look back at foot pursuit policies. It's made officers safer, 
and it's made the community safer in cities that's implementing this over a decade. So the expectation for us is, like Bob mentioned, what we'll learn and be informed by our documentation and review of how to continue to enhance officer safety as well as enhance safety of our residents. In, in that word salad that this bureaucrat wearing a badge just said, did you, did you catch the, the gist of what he's actually trying to convey? He's saying that if cops don't do their jobs, they might not be in as much danger, which I guess is true. <laughs> you don't need studies for that. They all, the libs always cite, cite studies, all of which are, are wrong. Every, I, every single study I am willing to say is wrong, or at the very least is not credible. I just don't buy them. I don't, I don't buy, they, because the libs don't have any arguments from principle, they, they just cite studies even when the studies are completely irrelevant. Yeah, I guess it's true. If a cop stays home, he's not going to be in as much danger as if he's chasing a suspect. The community won't be safer. Chicago won't be safer. I really don't want Chicago politicians lecturing me on how to have a safe community, okay? Because all, all that this guy is suggesting boils down to surrender. If you surrender to the criminals and you let them wreak havoc in your community, then you won't have to deal with them in that moment. You will have to deal with them because they're running your community. But it's preposterous. Here's no, here's, here's my study. Here's, I've got a study. I don't, I don't have the statistics on me right now, but my study is when you arrest the criminals, they don't commit as many crimes because they're in prison. How about that? How about that idea? You say, well, no, we're, so, we're such geniuses that we're not even going to arrest them in the first place. That, that, that does not make a lot of sense. That is a surrender. And look, I want to I protect cops. I don't like that cops are in danger. Obviously, danger goes along with the job. I think cops are in more danger, when you, in the long run at least, when you allow crime to spread, when you allow crime to go unpunished. Even if these sp- specific cops say, okay, don't run, don't chase them, go, go run and hide, say the politicians in Chicago. But what are you going to get? That's going to give you more crime. And the more crime you get, the bigger a target you've got placed on cops, the more, the more incidents that the cops are going to be called to, to say nothing of the terror that's going to, to be inflicted upon the ordinary civilian residents of Chicago. Sometimes the safe strategy, the safer strategy, is to get a little bit more aggressive. If we just arrest the criminals and put them in prison and deal with our under-incarceration problem. They always talk about over-incarceration. We actually have an under-incarceration problem. Here's my study on that. Crime is going up. When crime is going up, it means you're not incarcerating enough people. Sometimes the best strategy is to get a little bit more aggressive. And all the studies in the world and all the boring, jargony, technocratic talk from politicians like that guy in Chicago, it doesn't change the realities of this. Doesn't change the realities at all. The the strategy from the political left right now is just to, to distract us all. The, the strategy from the political left is just to continue to push the same old policies they've been pushing for half a century at least and use whatever's in the news as an excuse to do it, even if their policies have nothing to do with what's actually going on in our communities. I saw a video yesterday that is so powerfully cringe-inducing that I... I, I'm glad that I was able to get my face fixed before this show because I, I could have come on the show just sort of my muscles all twitched up. It was so incredibly cringe-inducing from a left-wing activist who is singing and rapping about how we need to take away your gun rights. We don't have time 
to get to it today. You will have to tune in tomorrow. That's going to be your little your little carrot for tomorrow. This this truly, I mean, you, you'll need 24 hours to prepare yourself anyway. To, you know, get maybe get a massage, get put some lotion on your face so that you your face does not get stuck in this kind of cringe. The 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 shriekers and the the whiners and the preposterous experts and the technocrats and all those are the people who are currently running our show. When we tune them out, that's not our fault. That's their fault. When we tune out all these all these supposed self-styled geniuses, that's us acting in our rational interest. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on the Matt Wall Show, leftist elites have a message for average people suffering under these economic conditions. Uh, shut up and stop complaining. That is actually the message verbatim. Also, the Supreme Court strikes down New York's unconstitutional gun control law. Biden unveils his brilliant plan for driving gas prices down. 60 Minutes claims that a 6-foot-2-inch, 230-pound male rugby player has no physical advantages over the females he wants to compete against. Canada bans plastic straws, but where does all of the plastic pollution in the ocean actually come from? Hint, it's not coming from Canada or the United States for that matter. In our daily cancellation, the TSA heroically saves lives by confiscating bottles of water and tubes of sunscreen and then brags about it on Twitter. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show.